This is the Comp Effect Podcast. When you focus on workers' compensation, you'll have a safer work environment, more productive staff, lower expenses, and you'll crush your competition. We're sharing real-world stories, actionable tips, business-friendly advice, and information to help your business. I'm your host, Todd Tams. Enjoy the show. All right, everybody. Welcome back to this episode of the Comp Effect Podcast. We have a great, great show lined up for you today. Uh, I have been pumped to schedule a conversation today with, uh, with Claire Musselman, who is currently the Director of Workers' Compensation at Continental Western Group, and she works in the first ever Workers' Recovery Unit. And while that may be her day job, what's super cool about Claire is what she is doing to change an industry from the inside out. And this has been a long time coming for the podcast, and I know that you guys are going to love it. And with that, let's get into this. And Claire, welcome to our podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I love your energy, Todd. It's so much fun to be around you and to just talk with you and see what you're doing in the workers' compensation space as well. So thank you so much for having me here today. My favorite thing is to geek out with fellow work comp nerds. And I'm not implying you're a nerd, but... Oh, you totally can. It's fine. The things that get me all excited, like the history of workers' compensation, I could talk about forever. You know, those are the things. So it's nice to be around like-minded people. It is. It is. And I, well, I just get excited that that there are people out there trying to make a difference in not only uh, injured workers' lives, but also throughout the claim experience and also how things are being handled with businesses in general. And so this is, this is just super exciting today. So tell me a little bit, why this, how'd you get here? So I got here accidentally. I think a lot of us, I, I mean, when I was in kindergarten and when we asked, we were asked what we wanted to be when we grew up, I did not draw a workers' compensation director. I did not. I know that's very shocking. I probably did draw a rainbow and some stars and some glitter because that, that is something that I think I've been my whole life. But when I got here, I was getting out of college thought I wanted to be an attorney and I bombed the LSAT because it happened to be homecoming week at the University of Iowa. And I cannot confirm or deny that I studied very hard. I did not do very well in the LSAT. So when I graduated from the University of Iowa, my parents were very kind and I got to go tour Europe with a group of friends after graduation. And when I came back, I was bartending and figuring out what I was going to do next. And a friend's dad came in. I had actually, she and I played doubles tennis since like age three and her dad came in and said, what are you doing here? And I said, I don't know. I took the LSAT. I think I might move to Denver, Colorado. I'm not really sure what I'm going to do next. And he said, well, why don't you come intern for me? If you really want to be an attorney, like he, he has his own law firm and it happened to be a workers' compensation firm. So I did go take the internship and I worked there on the defense side for insurance carriers. And I also got to experience being on the injured worker side. I had a Spanish speaking background as I had lived in Mexico and lived in Spain before and had my five years of Spanish and whatnot. And it was really fun to be able to see things from the injured workers perspective. Now the representation that we had at that time was through, we would represent some of the injured workers through the meatpacking plants here in Iowa which was very eye-opening. And I say that in a lot of ways because when I would go through medical records to do summaries and whatnot, the smell of the medical records was so permeated from being in these meatpacking plants. It was, I think eye-opening is probably the best way to look at it, but I got to see what it was like to be on both sides of the equation. And then I decided to apply to get my master's at Drake. And when I did that, I looked and found that Sedgwick, well, you know, this whole, when industry is really about relationships, had gone to the Iowa Workers' Compensation Symposium and met some people from Sedgwick who I actually worked on some claims with. And they introduced me to the right people. And I got a job as a claims examiner at Sedgwick and got my master's at Drake and kind of away we went. Wow. I think that uh, just to backtrack to a little bit of uh, your University of Iowa experience, I mean, the insurance industry, we like to drink. I mean, if you like- <laughs> <This> is true. <laughs> for you. Um, yep. And then if you can make a difference, that's an added bonus too, right? <laughs> Absolutely. 
Absolutely can. But it was interesting. So when I, even when I was an adjuster, like I look back on this whole process and how we got here and where the making a difference came from. I've always sent cards to injured workers, to any of my employer carriers that I've worked with. I've always just reached out. My mom raised me that you always send thank you notes. You always acknowledge people's birthdays, anniversaries, whatever it is that's special to them. It's your job to acknowledge that. And I always found that being on the work comp side, you know, we've got people at their most vulnerable times of their life. Why not just try and make their day a little bit better? And I've raised my daughter with that same mentality. Like you can feel bad about things or you can make a difference by making an active, you can be an active participant in making the world a better place. And so I've always felt that that was something that was easy to do. And I've done that since day one that I became an adjuster. So it's very interesting to me to see that, you know, here we are 16, 15 years later, I've been in the claim side for 15 years at the, at the legal side, 16 but we're 15 years later and some of the same things that we did as adjusters when we were younger, um, <laughs> younger with the quotation marks, they're just the basics of being a human being and finding human connection. And the pandemic has been very eye-opening because I think there has been a real showcase into how this really matters and how people feel. I have had more people say to me, I've been in dark places over the past year than I've ever have in my life. And I think we've seen a lot more fatalities that could have probably been prevented in with a lot of the mental health components that have gone into things, but it also really helped illuminate the psychosocial issues and the social determinants of health that also play into workers' compensation that we don't do a good job of training people to look for or to understand or at least have an awareness around. And so that's where our group is going to be really focused on driving that forward this year. Of really, we've always looked at the social determinant, or I'm sorry, we've focused on the psychosocial issues for the past three years. But these next few years, like I really want to take the time to understand what are the social determinants of health and how can we help navigate through that in conjunction with paying attention to somebody's psychosocial issues. Let's break that down a little bit in the, in the work comp claim aspect. And I'm a hundred percent with you here. I, I've been doing this for 16 years now. And the same, the same things I learned 16 years ago are still prevalent today. Um, and I have seen, I have seen too often where where the injured worker was a great employee on Monday, has a claim Monday afternoon, and suddenly it's like they were asking for it or they were doing something wrong and the employer turns and the employer turns on them and the whole thing just becomes this full of friction, angry claim. And that's, I think, how kind of work comp gets a bad rap anyway. And so by talking about it and by what you're doing and putting the humanity back in the claim experience, I think is gonna make a huge difference. And even one of our podcast members, Jessica, um, uh, she said, you know, the, the, the path for workers' compensation is not get rich. Nobody wants to get hurt. No, not at all. Nobody wants to feel icky and wake up icky. I do find it interesting. Like, as you say, you know, it, there becomes this adverse relationship with the employer and it's fascinating to me. And I've said this, I remember my very first speaking engagement. I said this, it is amazing to me how someone can have a personal health issue. Like let's say you blow out your shoulder playing softball and we will do everything as humans to make sure that they are, have food. We've gotten a meal, like a meal train where people are bringing food every night. We're making sure that we can help carpool or get their kids where they need to go. You slap work comp on that and society as a whole treats this whole scenario like a leper and those type of that the type of volunteering or raising up or doing whatever you can to try and help someone completely dissipates. And it's fascinating to me because when you look at the statistics of what is fraudulent, what is not fraudulent, et cetera, work comps not, it's not. And I love looking at hard fraud is one to 2%. And I have like 15 resources for anyone that wants to come challenge me on that. And the hard fraud in workers' compensation comes from employers lying about payroll or misrepresenting their employees and medical providers in California, just to Got to, got to throw a little joke in there. But we look at soft fraud from the standpoint of, okay, yeah, about 30%, 35% of claims can have some component of soft fraud. Well, think about why soft fraud exists and the impact that every single human being has on that in this space. If somebody feels seen, heard, and acknowledged, and they are transparently given the communication and they can voice understanding of knowing what's going to happen and the fear of the unknown from this process dissipates, 
they are not going to feel like they're being taken advantage of through the system. And it's not just against the adjuster or the insurance carrier, the third party administrator. A lot of this comes from the relationship with the employer. And I've also said that if you are a leader of people, you need to understand the basics of workers' compensation, because if you have someone who is injured, you, as the leader of that human being, are the most important person to reach out to check in on that person, because you are that number one communication guiding front, and you will help navigate the tone of what is yet to come. Because, you know, the insurance carrier can always be the bad guy and whatnot, but you are that person that's going to be there for that injured worker throughout the process. You're going to bring them back to work. They're going to continue to work for you. If you do not check in on them after they have been injured, what does that say about you as a human being? Because you know, if it was the softball injury, you would have checked in. Really in, in every single claim, over-communication is key. Absolutely. We're human beings. We want that connection piece. And again, it's kind of like the whole COVID. Everyone went home from the office. So people aren't in the office anymore. So how often do you check in on your staff? So if you think about it from those terms, like an injured worker is just like that. They get sent home, they're removed from their work environment. You got to check in on people. And I think, again, I'm not happy that the pandemic happened, but I'm happy that people now understand what it means for someone to, to be removed from that workspace and to not be around that social elements like they were used to, because it helps you think about things through a different lens. And maybe if enough of us continue to start acting on the what we've learned from looking at things through that lens, we can continue to effectively drive this industry moving forward where it is not always thought of in a negative connotation. I would love to see during some time of my life that we quit looking at it in this negative context, but we've got to get a lot more people on board and a lot more people trying to drive that needle forward to get there. In my business, everybody hates to talk about work comp. Everybody. They hate to talk about it from the sale. They hate to talk about it from the claim experience. Um, there's always the big, bad insurance company and I can, I can go to the top of my building and scream from the rooftop that that's really not the way it is. And ultimately it always boils down to the employer. The employer can control the cost of their work comp policy. They can dictate how the claim experience is going to be. Uh, they can take care of their injured worker. They can make sure that that injured worker has a positive experience and, one of the things that I like to talk about for a while, I sold health benefits and I always tried to, how do I, how do I take health benefits and work comp and put them together? Because they're, you know, one's PNC and one's life and health. They have separate licenses, separate divisions. Even most insurance companies don't put health benefits with PNC, but work comps and employee benefit. That's what it is. It's there workers, and it's paid for by the company. It's no different than any long-term, short-term disability, vision, dental, there to take care of your injured worker. And we yeah. don't, Walmart pays a claim. Why do we get mad when the insurance company takes care of our employees with a work comp? And I, I think the other issue, the other thing that I like to bring up when we're talking about it from this angle, uh, workers' compensation is not a solution to bad HR or bad hiring practices. These were your employees that you hired for a reason with, and they obviously had some type of promise or you wouldn't have hired them or they're going to be there to represent you. So when thing, bad things happen to them, it is our goal to get them back into their life and back into their work. But if it didn't work out, deal with your HR stuff. I mean, make sure that that stuff's taken care of because once you enter into our space for workers' compensation, it's only going to get costly if you're going to try and blend the two and they should not be blended. You need to keep those silos when it comes to that. But then from the personal health standpoint, it is. It's either going to go down our road or it goes down you know, Wellmark's road or Cigna's road or whoever's going to be on that other carrier side. Kind of an interesting conundrum. So let's back up here. A few a few minutes ago, you talked about things that you want to work on in the next three years, and you were talking about psycho uh, social issues. Yeah, so psychosocial issues have been a focal point for my workers' recovery in a group for the past three years. So my prior history before coming to Continental Western, we studied these. Like it was, I got to work with some medical providers and a lot of nurses about what are you looking for? How do you determine this? What does it matter? And really, when we look at the whole, we, we really are starting to look at the entire person. So when somebody comes and gets injured, I'm going to continue with the shoulder example to illustrate my point. So Joe gets injured at work. By, I don't know, let's say he's pulling a log or something and he tears something in his shoulder. Now we have to look at Joe from the entire perspective. What's Joe's home like, life like? Has Joe ever had a claim before? Does he have any experience in the workers' compensation? Does he have a lack of knowledge? Does he have an extensive knowledge? What's Joe's psychological makeup? Does he have anxiety? Does he have stress? Does he have depressive mood? 
Um, what's his home life like? Does he have any marital issues? How many kids are in the, in the house? Do they have more than one vehicle for transportation purposes? Is he caring for older parents? Is he caring for really young children? Because while sometimes people can't, can't really grasp this, but you, Joe tears his shoulder and let's say he's a little, let's gonna, let's just say he's a three-year-old daughter at home and he's now not able to lift his daughter anymore. We're going to be dealing with a very different issue than if Joe doesn't have anyone at home with him, not only from like a support system standpoint, but also just on who can take care, who can help, et cetera. So you've got to start thinking about all of these things and understanding how this injury is impacting not only the eight eight to five job or the nine to five job, Because workers' compensation, while work is only that X number of hours, the injury is 24 hours a day. And I think we fail to acknowledge that in the system a lot of times where we're like, oh, okay, well, you know, he just can't work for, he can't work for eight hours a day for the next four weeks, right? Five days a week for the next four weeks. Okay, but his shoulder injury and the pain and the recovery process lasts 24 hours a day until he's healed, until we're through this recovery process and all of those ailments, ailments that relate into that. Uh, when you're starting to look at the big picture, so a lot of times financial concerns come up, we need to do a better job on the front end of educating people and how they're going to be compensated. People need to know when you're going to pay me, how are you, how are you doing this? I want to know the why. First of all, it's standard jurisdictional rates that are produced in a statute they're in a statute. So it's not like we make this up as we go, but it's also important that you're very clear from the get-go as to how you're compensating this injured worker. How do you calculate it? Show them, put it in writing, make sure that they're aware of, Hey, we're going to take these wages. It's going to be 26 weeks. It's going to be 13 weeks, depending on whatever state you're in and walk them through it and make sure that they vocalize understanding because this is how they're going to take care of their child care. This is how they're going to put food on their table. This is how they're going to make sure that their mortgage is paid. And when you start to look at the elements of what concerns someone, it's very easy to understand why the situation gets convoluted and why people get frustrated. A lot of adjusters don't take the time to understand, oh, you'll just get paid. A lot of adjusters miss payments. Okay. Well, adjuster, if you are going to get your paycheck for the next 15 days after you were supposed to have it deposited into your account, how would you feel? I mean, a lot of Americans can't go, a lot of Americans do go paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. And we have to start thinking in terms of what if it was you? Mileage is another one that I'm always, I'm fascinated by this on how I know that these companies exist because I've heard it from their adjusters where they are not encouraged to be upfront about mileage because it's going to save them money. Okay. Think about this for a second. It's a statute, statute mandated benefit. We are very upfront with this to be like, hey, make sure you start tracking your mileage. You can send it to us in an email. You could document it in a spreadsheet. If you want to write it down and take a snapshot with your phone and then send it to us. Whatever it is, we want to make sure that you're compensated for your mileage. And that's, you know, about around 50 cents a mile. Again, it depends on what state you're in. But why not be upfront with that so that people know, hey, you know, you're going to have this. You can send it to me weekly. You can send it to me at the end of your claim. You can send it to me, whatever, because it's a benefit that they're qualified for by having a worker's compensation claim. And I've literally been told this by adjusters out of a completely different state and everything where they say, we're not encouraged to be upfront about that because it will save us money. You've got to be kidding me. First of all, it isn't going to save you money because I guarantee you, if that's what you are going to set the bar at of not being transparent about the benefits that someone qualifies for under this employee benefit, you're going to get sued because I guarantee you that's not the only thing that you're not being transparent about, which is just unbelievably fascinating to me that we would do this to other human beings. And I've also had the wonderful experience of having a worker's compensation claim and I understand where people get frustrated because you have this fear of the unknown. Or if you don't know the right people, it's going to take you six weeks to get an MRI authorized to even know what's wrong with you. So you sit here and when we look at the psychosocial issues, so let's go back to Joe and Joe has his three-year-old daughter with his shoulder injury. Well, I'm sorry, Joe, we are not going to be able to get you your MRI because we have to go through this third-party vendor that's, you know, in the back is going to save the carrier money, but we're going to keep you off work for six weeks until we can get that MRI. Okay. So I love this because when we look at it from a medical bill repricing, 
sometimes it's only $50 of savings. Other times it's like $1,200 of savings to do an MRI when you want to work through a third party. Fascinating to me that we will delay somebody's medical treatment and getting a diagnosis for about six weeks. So what, we're going to keep Joe off work for six weeks? I guarantee you that six weeks of him sitting at home because he cannot get in for his MRI to get his diagnosis. Not only is it going to cost him and the insurance carrier or the TPA and the employer because he is not able to get back into his work environment. We don't know what's going on in his shoulder. And now is it not, it's not only going to be the indemnity benefits that he's owed. We're now going to have Joe sit for six weeks of feeling anxious. He has no idea what's wrong with him. Um, he has restrictions that he has to live with for full time because, again, it's not just an eight-hour day that your restrictions are in place. It's 24 hours a day for however long this is. And we don't think about the psychosis that's going to go into that. So now that's six weeks of Joe being removed, six weeks of no medical diagnosis. We have an idea, but we're not 100% sure. And maybe six weeks could be a little long at this point. But when COVID hit, I mean, things were getting really delayed. So maybe six weeks isn't even that long of a time period. But I can tell you from my own personal stance, I went in, I saw the occupational health provider and she had said, I have to get an MRI. And I said, okay. She's like, you know what? MRIs open upstairs. Why don't you just go upstairs? I'm like, okay, I'm in Iowa, employee direct or employer directed, go upstairs and get the MRI. So I go upstairs to this facility and I say, Hey, I need an MRI. And they're like, Nope, your insurance carrier wants to use a different, they need us to go through their third party. Mine was six weeks out. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I am not waiting six weeks for you to tell me what's wrong with me when the MRI is open right now. You've got to be kidding me. And I was sent away and I ended up getting it pushed up to two weeks. But you've got to be kidding me. That cannot be the way we treat humans. It was open. I could have had a diagnosis like within an hour. And nope, just unbelievably fascinating to me how we treat human beings. And I was the director of workers' compensation at this point. So I didn't want to be the dude. Do you know who I, who I am? Like, I do this. I do this for my job. I know that's not the way that that needs to work. And then, of course, my adjuster's MIA and goes on vacation. And I'm sure anyone that's had a work count claim completely understands how this goes because that is how it goes. And then even if you escalate it, there's no way that you feel like you're going to get anything resolved. So then you go into the weekend unbelievably unhappy. And it is not surprising to me that people get attorneys. You're lacking communication. The whole way that the system, it's, it's flawed. And I love it because I think when I ended up looking at, because you, know, you can request your medical bills and what's paid and whatnot, I think it would have sa- it, like, saved them like $50 or $25. And I was like, glad you did that because you made me feel really angry. And I called everyone I possibly could because, you know, bad news spreads 10 times over, but that's not the way to do things. And I was very transparent with my team about it too. I was like, this is my experience. This is what I'm going through. What would you guys do? How would you guys handle it if you were my adjusters? So we don't only act well with our own injured workers when they come into us. Like we've talked about our own experiences as well to let people know I've experienced this or my cousin's experienced this or my sister. And we use real life examples from our own lives to really drive home the messaging of focusing on what is happening, why it's happening and where the flaws lie. The experience that you just described that I'm amazed at how often that happens. It, it, I'm amazed. I am too. <laughs> and, I mean, we could talk about so many things here, but the system, I mean, from the beginning, you've got different employers with different values. You've got different insurance companies out there. You've got just what you talked about there. You've got some companies that we don't want to authorize the MRI until we've got the medical records and we need to see the medical records before we can do this. And my whole world anymore, it, Amazon has changed everything where I can have it in two days. I don't understand something that takes two weeks. It doesn't in my head at all, especially, and I've had the foresight or the luck like you, the MRI is right there. Why can't I get it right now? Absolutely. And the thing is when the physician, the authorized treating physician orders it, I understand people want a copy of the medical records. They're ordering it right this moment, right this moment. They're ordering it. You've already authorized me to go treat with this person. Why would you not authorize what they need in order to give me my diagnosis. Like it ended up helping us be much more proactive on it. Like, Hey, if you're going to go to the doctor today and this is what's going to happen and they need x-rays or an MRI, we're going to go ahead and already authorize it and pre-authorize it so that they can get whatever they need for a complete total depiction of what is going on with this injured worker. It helps alleviate that whole fear of the unknown. Because from my standpoint, like I was a really big runner at the time. 
And I'm like, well, can I get, can I keep running or can I not run? I mean, I ended up like blowing out my hip too. It was really bad. So I, there's no way that I should have kept continuing to try and run, but guess what? didn't have an MRI to tell me how bad it was for another two weeks. And I mean, I just destroyed my hip, destroyed it. It was bad. So, so there's so much stuff to talk about here. Uh, your position at Continental Western Group it is brand new. Is that my understanding? Um, so our unit is new. Um, the prior, my predecessor was a manager of work comp claims. We just, when I came here, they had elevated it to a director role. And then we changed the unit from workers compensation to a workers recovery unit where we really do focus on let's exercise in that care, compassion, and concern to drive the needle forward, focusing on emotional intelligence, focusing on empathy and focusing on customer centricity. Like who is your customer at that time? Is it the injured worker at that moment? Do we need to be communicating better with the insured and looking for who is your customer in that moment to drive it through? What do we need to do? Do we need to help the insured find ways to bring people back to work? Do we need to find vendor partnerships that can help us in case that we are unable to do that with our employer? Um, what else do we need? What do we need from a transportation standpoint? What do we need from a translation standpoint? And we started to really look at all of the relationships that exist within our realm of control and making sure that all of the mission, the vision, the values, everything was in alignment, especially when we're looking at nurse case management. So when we have a nurse that's sitting in there with our injured worker, they're us, they're representing, they're Claire, they're Todd, they're Joe, whoever it is, they are the face. So we had to make sure that we aligned everyone that was going to be our boots on the ground, because again, they're the direct depiction of us. And in case any of these partnerships go south with that injured worker, it's an automatic reflection on us. So it took a, we took a deep dive into looking at all of the elements that make up our programming so that we have the absolute best of the best moving forward so that we can do what's in our power and our scope of control to make good things happen for this injured worker, to get them back to health, so they can get back to work and they can get back to their life. So you, you've tore down a unit and entirely rebuilt it. Correct. I love that. Yeah. And I will tell you that the people that are here are passionate about what they do and they're good at what they do. I loved it. We had, we celebrated our three-year anniversary on March 1st. So really awesome stuff. And one of the adjusters said, I look forward to coming to work every day because I get to make relationships with these injured workers. And we really get to come together to find a cohesive plan to get them back into their life. And I love that. And any of my adjusters can talk about how great it is and what they do. And they can tell you why they're different. They can tell you how they're different. And they explain exactly what makes them special because each person that's a part of this team comes here with a meaning and purpose and purpose-filled passion to make this industry better. And they were recognized by InTouch this past year where they won the 2020 Making a Difference Award, which historically has been given to one person. It's the first time a team has ever done it. And I love that the work comp industry noticed, hey, this group matters. All of them are contributing members into driving the industry forward. Because as much as I can sit here and talk about the vision, these guys do it every day. They're the ones that pick up the phone and have these meaningful communications with our injured workers or with the insureds, with the medical providers to really drive it forward. And they put their money where their mouth is. They execute. They are walking the talk. Put people behind a unified purpose like this. That makes it better. It's pretty easy to find people to help rally around that. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting when I, when I've heard in the past and not in my team, but I've heard people say, well, I'm just an adjuster. You're the single most important person in this whole gamut. Now you look at where you're at from your scope of control. And I love when, you know, the rising benchmarking studies came out and they said, um, you know, leaders back in 2016, uh, leaders of organizations were like, yep, we all do this advocacy model, which I don't care about advocacy. I don't, I don't care about the advocacy model. It is about being a good human and making a recovery model that is implemented, executed and moving the needle forward because the advocacy programs, while I understand that they're here to advocate for the injured worker, it's not just advocating, it's walking along with them. It is doing this with them and helping them on their road to recovery because again, These models have been, and I want to put the quotes because these have been talked about when this like really hit mainstream around 2015, 2016, and all of these organizations were saying, yep, we all run these advocacy models. But then the study from 2019 came out and 72% of claims adjusters said they had no idea what it was or how they were supposed to be behaving in it. 
So help me understand how we have all of these organizations where we have all this leadership at the top. And then we have all these adjusters that have no idea what's going on. And I love the justification that I heard this past fall said, well, they just don't know that that's what it's called. Uh, no, I think that there is a massive disconnect between the middle management because it's the middle management. It's like the leadership vacuum where all the ideas come to the top, but we don't necessarily get buy-in. We don't ask, how would this work? We don't ask for input and it kind of becomes a leadership issue. And so this is where I have said, if you are a leader of people, you should have some knowledge of workers' compensation. And that doesn't matter if you're on the employer side or on the insurance carrier side or on the TPA side or running a nurse case management company. Every, I mean, it doesn't matter. Wherever you're at, you should have some knowledge of how to make, how to really make that human connection. So somebody in their darkest time can find a way to see the light and understand that, hey, we're sorry that this happened to you. Let's figure out how we can make it better. Let's figure out how we can help you heal and get somebody into being a con- back to being a functional contributing member of society, because that's where a lot of us find our happiness is actually, you know, doing, living in the moment, doing the things and doing. It's just very interesting. Well, you're talking about taking workers' compensation from a profit and loss statement and putting it on the balance sheet. That's what we're talking about here. Rather than look at it at Rather than look at workers' compensation as an expense, it's how do I keep I mean, how do I keep that injured worker employed at my organization, especially if they're good? How do I make that experience positive for them so that they find me as the employer still valuable? How did I take care oh, of yeah. time when they got injured working for me, as you know, me in general? Yeah, that that's I don't know. I've I have. I believe that there should be some advocate at the employer because there's so many poor claim practices, poor adjusters, and that's not a knock on any one person. It's just the industry in general sometimes, but not every employee has that voice. They're afraid to speak up. They're in a claim situation. They may not understand the claim may not have been communicated to them the way that maybe your company is communicating to them in the podcast that we had. The attorney that was on uh, Jennifer Zoop, she said the number one thing that people complain about, their paycheck's wrong. Yes. Their very first paycheck is wrong. Their employer reported the data incorrectly. They don't understand the calculation. They go find an attorney because people are living paycheck to paycheck. And the very first experience that this worker has was screwed up. Yeah. And we've talked about this in our unit. So when we try to be as transparent as possible... I, here's what has been reported, you know, here's us, let's show you how this is done, because I don't think that verbalizing it is enough. It has to be, they, people want to see it too. Like I want to see, because then I can compare and contrast and I can, I can have an understanding in my own headspace and my knowledge, but you know, it's just crazy to me that we don't even think about it from that perspective where, you know, if it was, well, I didn't get a pay stub this week and my check's wrong, like you would do something about that. And it's, very disheartening when we don't have those communication models in place because it's not just good enough to tell someone. You know, we talk about active listening and reflective listening. Make sure that that person that you're communicating with understands because the way that you're communicating may not be the best way for them to understand it. And that's where we focus on not only doing it verbally, but also showing it so that somebody else can try to process it and understand where you're coming from. And you know what? It takes like, what, three extra minutes to do that? So when people say they don't have time, no, you're just not going to put in the effort or you have poor time management. I would imagine with the extra few minutes though, that your people are spending probably minimizes a lot of legal actions. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I would absolutely agree with that. Uh, when we debuted the workers recovery and one of the first things that we saw was a decrease in litigation. And even to this day, I was talking to our leadership team about it recently. And they said, you know, we don't really get sued as often as we used to. And I was like, well, of course not. Look at our communication models and look at the way that we treat our injured workers. Like we really want to do what we can. And when we talk about like the psychosocial issues, again, there's a lot that can come from what's going on at the employer. And so if we hear something, we say something, we at least clue the employer in like, hey, has Joe's boss reached out? Like, cause I think it might, it might impact the claim. And again, I talk about how, you know, we slap workers compensation on an injury and it's, and then it's instantly like a leper type situation. It costs nothing for that person's team to just simply reach out and say, Hey, how are you? You're not asking for medical information. You're not asking for a status. You are literally just asking or actually just showcasing, Hey, I care. Yeah. 
Make, so you're making that person feel seen, heard, and acknowledged. And again, it costs nothing to do this. I mean, it costs whatever it costs to send a text, but come on, really, in this day and age? So I think we need to help insurance companies out here. And if, if you're a business listening to this, we talk about immediate claim reporting. Um, and the reason that it's super important, whether, whether it's, it's an injury or not, or it went to the emergency room, immediate claim reporting to the carrier allows them to comply with state laws and state regulation. If you've got an injured worker that's not coming back to work and needs to be out on indemnity. I know, I think in the state of Iowa, it's what, 10 days from the date of injury to get the first paycheck out? Maybe 12, maybe I'm wrong on that. It's, it's, it's pretty short. And so if the claim occurred on a Friday afternoon, the employer doesn't know about it till Tuesday, they tell HR on Wednesday, and Wednesday, they finally decide to report it to their insurance agent at four o'clock in the afternoon. And by the time we report it to the carrier, it's Thursday, seven days have already passed and you guys are under the gun. You're behind yeah. And that injured worker that got injured last Friday is wondering what the heck is going on. Yes. Yeah, so even in addition to that, so I'll use my own example. So I was injured on a Tuesday. I didn't want to report it. I actually said to my boss, I'm like, Hey, I'm not going to report this. It's probably nothing. By Friday, I couldn't walk. I got in first thing Friday morning and I don't think we got the claim. I don't think I had a phone call from my adjuster for two weeks after that, almost three. And I wasn't missing time from work. And, but that's, that's regardless, that's not appropriate. You've been injured. Someone should have contacted you because what, what am I supposed to do now? I mean, if you don't know the system and you don't know how it works and I did go to HR, I remember going to HR and asking and, I remember HR saying, hey, we don't have your claim number or anything yet either. So then it goes back. I mean, when you look at the channels, okay, so say that you from the agency standpoint are able to report it to me on a Thursday, then it gets into the system. Let's say it takes a while to get set up. And now we're at the following Monday when the adjuster finally is able to call. The injured worker got injured on a Friday and now we're over a week and we're now at 10 days on that Monday. So that injured worker is like, okay, I got injured at work. Does anyone care? Anybody? <laughs> and that's where I think that, so when we talk about immediate reporting, it is incredibly necessary. And it's kind of why I love all the telemedicine. I love the telemedicine from a lot of different standpoints, but the one that we use is actually physicians. So if you get injured, I can FaceTime with a physician right on the onset so that I know what can I do tonight when I get home. So again, Joe with the shoulder, all right? So I, I got to bathe my daughter tonight. Am I going to be okay? Or do I need to have like my sister come over and help me? Like, am I going to be okay? What do, what do I need to do now? Like right at this moment to make sure that I don't make it worse. And I set myself up for success in the healing process. And by having like a physician involvement right away. And I know a lot of carriers don't do this, but it's one of the reasons that CWG is fantastic and amazing and go workers recovery unit, but we are able to have that done right away. And then, you know, the physician can triage it and say, all right, you need to go see somebody tomorrow or, Hey, we're going to get you in or do this, take, do this first aid type stuff until we can get you into your doctor. What's also helpful about that is if you are non-English speaking, add that layer of complexity to everything that we just talked about. And this is again, why I really like the telemedicine approach that we have with the doctor is you can have, let's just say that you're not Let's say Joe's Spanish speaking. All right. So Joe gets to talk to a Spanish speaking physician. Now there's no translation. There's no issues back and forth. Joe can literally report to this gentleman. Here's what happened. What do I need to do? And they're speaking the same language without having all the convolutedness right in the middle. And that makes the biggest difference. We can just cut out all the middle stuff and let it go. And then he knows exactly where he needs to go. You, you as the agent get a copy of the first report of injury. Me as the insurance carrier gets one too because it gets shot out at that same time. And look, we are on our way without 10 days of lag. How about that? Who would have thought? <laughs> I preach and preach and preach. And the first several episodes, nurse triage, just call it in. Call it in. Yeah. Right. It, doesn't, it doesn't hurt. And I, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate that I don't want to do business with an insurance company that doesn't have nurse triage. I understand that completely. Uh, totally the, understand that. that exists in the world today. I, it doesn't even compute upstairs in my brain. As a matter of fact, I had an insurance company call the other day and I said, who are you? They, they want to appoint new agents. Who are you using for nurse triage? And the marketing person says, what, what is nurse triage? I'm like, how do you, it's 2021. Yeah. How? And if you didn't, if you don't have that after the pandemic, are you kidding me? <laughs> 
things need to change. So changing an industry like what you're doing presents challenges. Yeah, it does. It does a lot. <laughs> what are some obstacles that you're, you're struggling with or that you found along the way? Um, so I will tell you originally, so I'm, I'm a pretty bright bubbly person. So the personal attacks come pretty quickly. We're like, oh, you know, she's dumb. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Has she really been in the industry that long? She's fake. She's phony. Um, you know, those type of things. But I, I feel like humans are just catty in general most of the time. But when you show up as your authentic self every day, and this is who I am, I've been like this since I was little. I just always see the brighter side of life and I choose that every day. I mean, you can choose to be negative. You can choose to be positive. But I believe that when I come to work and when my team comes to work, we are here to do good things because nobody shows up to work to do a bad job. Like, let's start there. But if I can drive people's meaning and purpose through what we do that has an impact, not only on how I feel about myself and what we're doing, but I can now impact how the injured worker feels and how their family feels. And you start to look at the ripple and you understand on how it plays into the bigger, the greater good and how it plays into society and what we're doing and how all of us contribute to that greater good and that bigger picture, that bigger vision of making good things happen for one another. That is where I think that being able to look at back on this, this year at three years of doing this, now people believe because they've seen it, they've felt it, they've gotten to be a part of it. And I'm sure it does look foo-foo-y from the outside until you're in it or until you are that injured worker. And then you do get to experience us where you're one of um, our adjusters that got a phone call over Christmas from one of his injured workers and the claims closed. But the gentleman just wanted to call and wish him a Merry Christmas because he felt like they'd become friends throughout talking. You know, it's just that human connection. It's just absolutely beautiful. So I show up like this every day. Actually, yesterday I wore a one piece jumpsuit that was full on glitter. And I love it because you know what? People think that I'm ridiculous and I'm totally okay with that because my ridiculousness makes other injured workers feel like they are seen, heard, and acknowledged and whole. And it is my goal in life to make people feel more whole and less broken because there's enough obstacles out there that will help that, that make people feel broken. I'm not here to be a part of that. I believe you can either be a, I don't believe there's a neutrality in life. I think you're either positive and you're making progress and you're trying to make good things happen or you're not. I don't think there's an intermediary at all. You're going to be either energy adding or energy depleting. And I want anything that I do in this world or anything that my team does to be energy adding. 100%. Those are my favorite friends. Yeah. I don't like to be around the negative energy. No, there's so, I was watching a documentary recently that said there, and I just find this, you know, it's Women's History Month right now too. Um, there is a plethora of money to be made off of suffering. How gross is that? I don't want to be a part of that. So no. I will go ahead and save money by doing the right thing for people on the front end on the immediate time that they are injured. We will make good things happen for them so that they can get back to their life and back to being a functional contributing member of society. For Simple. The, for the people that are listening to this, I know, I mean, you and I vibe and we're on the same wavelength here. But the reality is this is how it is in the real world. These are the, yeah. like what we're talking about. And the reason I started this podcast is to change, is to change an industry. You're three years ahead of me. <laughs> there's, there's so few people in this country that are out to change a system, which, which has such regulatory authority. Mm -hmm. and it's, it's been ingrained and this is just the way that we've done things. And I think you and I, even at our first meeting, it's like, it's been replicated for so many decades that it's so hard to change. And even the new incoming generation, they're being, they're being trained how it was 20 and 30 years ago. Assuming that they even want to come into the space because it has such the negative connotations of thinking that you're chained to a desk and there's paper and it's just a checkbox mentality and you have zero thought, which is unbelievably disheartening. But you know, the, it, the insurance industry has a whole as a whole right now has 400,000 open positions. So we as an industry failed to address the talent gap many moons ago. And now it's staring us right in the face with ongoing retirement with the baby boomers that will all be gone by 2030. It's going to be going to be interesting. The same thing on the independent side right now, a lot of agency owners getting ready to retire. I mean, there's just, there's not the new generation to take over and carry the torch. No. 
know, there's not. So it'll be interesting to see how we continue to move forward because like that, I mean, you're going to help me participate in our generations or sorry, the transitions and passing the torch as we talk about communication models coming up in a couple of weeks. But really, it, there aren't as many people as I thought would be rising to the occasion to try and contribute to doing something about it. You can always take the time to say something, but I'd rather use my energy of not talking, but doing and getting groups of people together that'll keep doing the right thing by finding those emerging leaders, training the ones that are currently in existence, but have been trained, like you just said, with the way of 20 and 30 years ago, where we treat workers' compensation almost like a property claim, where you've got to make sure you check all the boxes, but we're not looking at a tangible piece of property. We're looking at a multifaceted, multi-emotional, multi-dimensional person on that other side that's not simply a checkbox type of method to handle someone. Let's talk a little bit about, I want to talk a little bit about your work at Transitions because I think it's super cool Yeah. Um, to even dovetail into that whole claim process and the adjuster process. It still takes on average 14 days to process an auto claim in the world. That's how long it's taken for 20 years. Why is that still a thing? I mean, mean, not with the technology that we have these days, that's, that's incredibly solid. (laughs) It's still on average 12 to 14 days beginning to end for a simple thing like an auto claim. By the time you report it, you get the adjuster out there, you go through estimate review, and this isn't work comp related, but our industry as a whole is old. And there are, there are people in the industry that are pushing, I mean, we're pushing up, you're one of them, you're pushing up against an industry that's been the same way for 30 years. And I think this is probably, it's been longer than 30 years, but I think that this is a perfect segue into your work at Transitions and I'll let you talk a little bit about that because it's it's super cool. Ah, I love it. So I did my doctoral dissertation on the insurance industry, which is kind of fun. And I joke because when you set out to do, when I went to go get my doctorate, I really wanted, my dad's a blue collar worker and I wanted to know what made him show up every day to be engaged in his work. So I wanted to do a multifaceted, um, I wanted to do a multifaceted approach to employee engagement and I wanted to do it like around my dad's group. I couldn't do it around that. You know, there's so many things that you have to jump through when you are doing research and interdisciplinary board review and getting all of the appropriate approvals. So I um, ended up doing it on the insurance industry instead, which pretty fascinating. So I wanted to look at the generational breakdown of how people were engaged. How do you bring your whole self to work? How do you really get lost in the moment? And how do you know that you're really engaged in the work that you're doing? Well, to do it, I needed a a certain number of people from each generation. And what I was finding is that there were no Gen Z, and I was barely finding enough millennials to participate in the study. Baby boomers and Gen X, we were good to go, but it it made me notice that we have an issue. And it wasn't just at the organization that I did the research, but it was starting to bleed over into other organizations as well when I was looking around, looking for more participants for the study. So I happened to be talking to a friend, Mark Pugh from Preferred Medical, and he and I were talking about this and he's like, you know what, this is becoming an issue. It is starting to be a thing. Why don't we talk about it at the National Work Comp Symposium and let's talk about the talent gap. We'll bring in a couple industry professionals and we'll have a conversation about this. And I was like, all right, it sounds great. So as I continue to do my research and I'm looking at this and Mark continues to do his, we start to realize that this is not just a new thing that it has been talked about, but people have not been a good job, done a good job of addressing it. So as I do public speak quite a bit on different topics, I had asked, uh, we had been talking about not only the generation breakdown, but we had been talking about what type of resources we use to attract, retain, and develop talent in the insurance industry. And I interviewed a group of CEOs from a different state, and all of them told me what they believed that their mentorship program was. And I will tell you, I laughed. And I was also, um, you know, I'm younger than a lot of these guys. And it was very interesting to me where they said, well, we, we offer a, you know, somebody to, when we bring in a new employee, we offer somebody to be their mentor for the first year. And then, you know, if they choose to continue on that relationship, that's on them. And I said, okay, so let me understand this from my perspective. You bring in somebody that you want because you want their ideas, you want their talent, et cetera. And then you give them like a cultural ambassador to mean to give them the lay down of the land within your organization. And that's what you're depicting as mentorship. Sounds like a buddy system. I said, so do you guys mentor people? And every single one of them said, no, I don't have time for that. 
are we really surprised with what the industry has done when we have leaders on the top of a lot of insurance organizations that will not put forth the time to have one-on-ones with their up-and-coming people? And I will say that our president does a fantastic job of this. He actually does coffee talks and he is in trying to make sure that he is doing exactly what he needs. I think that's the way that it should go, but I'm absolutely floored at how many of these gentlemen told me, no, I don't have time to do that. So you don't have time to invest in the talent that's going to replace you with the legacy that you leave. And, you know, the questions get a little bit different at that point. And it was not as positive as if we had gone into this with, but I find it fascinating. Okay. So when I look at it from my stance, I want to add seats to the table. If I don't know, I'll find someone who knows and bring your folding chair because you're always going to have room at my table. That is not the method from let's go 20, 30 years ago. I had to claw my way to get here. You can go claw yours. Why would we do that though? I want the world to be better. And there is, it's like that growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And I am just floored by this, why we would not want the best for everyone. We want the best for everyone's kids, but we won't do it for each other within like an industry space. So (laughs) we we go through this. So why does it have to be hard for me? Yeah. Good grief. I don't want people. I love mentoring because I want to give you all of the ways that I've failed. So you can either avoid it or fail a little bit differently. And then we can come back and laugh about it later. But you know what? I've been through that awful time period. I don't want you to go through that because it sucked for me. It probably won't be any better for you. So let's find a way that you don't do that. So anyway, we go, we present. Not holding them accountable when they do fail. Exactly. I learned the hard way. There's only one way that I'm going to learn. You can tell me not to do it. I'm probably still going to go do it. But I don't against me when I'm done, say, did you learn a lesson? Let's move on. Yeah. That's all it takes. Yes. So Mark and I, we go, we present at the National Work Comp Conference about all this. And at the end, I said to Mark, and I said, you know, there's a lot here. We should like, let's start doing, like, let's try and find a way to do like a webinar series and really take the people that were on this. Everyone's got a plethora of knowledge within their respective space. So we each have our own our own fortes that we can help showcase. And so we decide to create this program. And of course, originally it was going to be like four or five sessions and now it's up to 13. I'm sure we're going to probably continue to add, but we developed a curriculum that is administered through a webinar series. And then it also has a packet, like a packet of information that's going to end up, you get a couple sheets at every webinar series. And by the end, you have a book together that shows you exactly how to knowledge transfer, set up a mentorship program, and how you can really take it to the next level where as we have this generational talent transition, you now have a plan of exactly how to execute and implement that within your organization. What I love about this is it's all of our time is volunteered. It is all free for anyone that wants to use it. It is not even necessary for the insurance industry. It could be like we, while we've been focusing on workers' compensation, this could go finance, it could go academia, it could go healthcare system. It does not matter who you are. We all need to be doing more when we're looking at how we develop the younger generations. Because you know what? When people get upset that they say, you know, millennials are entitled, because I love when people say that to me, because I'm like, I'm a millennial. Well, then what did you do to contribute to make sure that that didn't happen? Because if you aren't actively engaged in doing something about it, do not come talk to me or complain to me about it. Because I want to know what you're doing to contribute to the solution to the problem. And then, you know, people usually are a little bit quieter at that point. But what's great about this is all the resources are unbelievably available. They're on LinkedIn. The, the webinars are all recorded so that they're on YouTube. You can access them. You can share them. You can download the stuff. You, every, all the PowerPoints are available. So you can take them into your organization and use it. And you don't even need like a program from somebody else. We've just built it for you to try and make the transition that much easier for everyone in this space. Just real quick here. These free materials that can be used in any organization that you and Mark have created LinkedIn, go to where? Uh, the transitions. The transitions. Literally the transitions. And it's called the transitions passing the torch. Okay. And that's the same thing on YouTube. Yep. And there's a, the transitions and it has its own YouTube channel. Wonderful. And there's 13, sweet. 13 things out there right now. Um, they We are currently have three of the webinars have occurred. You okay. get to be my special guest, one of our panel people for the fourth webinar, which is actually scheduled for March 16th at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. 
and then that will go up. But we're going to, we have been doing it in every three week cadences in between an article is then published on what we've been talking about so that we can recap it and hope to give people a little bit more information um, on what was discussed during the webinar with the panels. And then Mark and I do a coffee conversation in between to talk about our own personal experiences and cite relatable examples. So Mark and I just did recently, um, the webinar was on mentorship, which I also need to touch on that. And Mark and I talked about our own relationship because Mark used to be my mentor. And I don't know if he realizes this, but he's absolutely doing it now. He continues to push me. And as we've done this transitions, and I do need to give a shout out to Drew Cortese, Melissa Wright, um, Barry Bloom, and Mark Marcus Torbert, because they are also part of our founding fathers for this, and Rachel Fikes, to make this whole thing possible. Um, the other thing is we also created a mentor-mentee system within the entire workers' compensation industry. So if you want to be a mentor or you want to be a mentee, you fill out a survey monkey, we pair you up, we give you here our, this is what is expected of you, whatever you are within it. And then we have one of us that oversee it to make sure that the relationship is meaningful and you're both getting something out of it because not all organizations have it. And while we've all been split up COVID and the pandemic, it makes it a little bit harder, but now we've opened it up so that it's not just in your organization. It's not just who you know. Let us match you with somebody else that could be all the way across the United States, but might be your very best advocate to make you successful moving forward. And that I think is amazing because we did we did exactly what we said we were going to do, and now we're going to show you how to do it. This, folks, is how you change an industry right here. You should be. I'm happy for you. You should be proud. You and your team. It's great work. Thank tell, you. Me, tell me how many, how many in the insurance industry, what are you seeing for response? How many insurance companies are signing up on this or actively rolling it out within their organization? I think that will be something that we look at at the end and we'll have to really see what we're at. I know I'm going to try it with my team. We are going to actually actively do this. I collectively in my leadership team that works under me, we have over a hundred years of industry knowledge and that is imperative. And it's imperative because it's like the technical details too. Well, this worked here. It didn't work here. Hey, if we're going to move forward doing it this way, be advised, watch for X, Y, and Z. Those are the things that we're all going to lose. But also we have a ridiculous Medicare expert that I've nicknamed the detail duchess because she can tell you every single fact about every single thing. She knows every intricacy and that is her wheelhouse forte. I need that. I need that because at some point she's going to leave me and she's going to go move off into the next phase of her life. And I won't have that. And she's like my right hand. And it's so funny because she catches me all the time on random things where she'll be like, actually, don't forget about this technical detail. And I'm like, ah, this is why I have you. You're so wonderful. And even like in life, she's my little guardian angel that says, don't worry, you'll get through this. Whenever I've asked her about parenting advice or anything, I always say, you know, Linda, what do you think? And she's like, don't worry, you'll get through this. Never offers me any actual advice, just smiles. And she had daughters and I have a daughter. And so she just smiles. <laughs> You'll get through it. And you know what? She's been right every single time because you don't have another option. But those are the types of the, that industry knowledge that a lot of companies are going to use. Like I can tell you in Des Moines alone, we have 81 insurance companies at the moment, 81 insurance companies. I guarantee you there's a lot more Lindas there that you're going to lose a lot of this stuff. And then it will make it that much harder for your leaders. And if you are missing that kind of institutional knowledge and you're trying to build up these emerging leaders, you have this disconnect of not doing that appropriate knowledge transfer. So I'm excited for us to run through the actual book ourselves. And we're thinking about how we're going to go through that as well. Now that performance reviews are wrapping up, we will start kicking that off on how do we make sure that we're doing what's best for our people to come up in the organization to make sure that they have the appropriate development plans and we've done everything in our ability to set them up for success? Well, I think big things are going to be happening at CWG and the fact that they support you in this mission, I think is huge. Yeah, they've been fantastic. We have an amazing team that has been really helpful. And that is where I think that has set us up for the most success. When we debuted the workers recovery unit, our our prior president was one of the most intense, amazing humans that would walk in with like the voicemails that we get and would share them with agents and be like, here's why we're different. And then play a voicemail from an injured worker where it's like, Hey, Todd, thanks for helping me. I don't think you understand how much you helped me during this time period where you have somebody that goes to bat for you like that. And it didn't matter what level you were at the, in, in our organization, you knew what we were doing and you knew why we were doing it. And that is where I think a lot of these organizations fail is you don't have it built 
through in, you've got somebody with an idea that's probably going to get squashed by somebody else and then it dies where you've got to have those people that, all right, I'm going to have my glitter and sparkles just explode everywhere. And you're all going to pay attention because this has to happen now. And I need your support. But I also think that we've got to do a better job of asking for what we need where like I've gone to my boss and I've said, Hey, I need this from you. I need you to back me on this, this, and this. And Hey, if you think that I'm missing out on something, tell me, what am I missing? And my boss has been intricate with me on developing. How do you back up all the data to support what you guys can say from a subjective standpoint? So really tying in the subjective and the objective together to give it that much more power with, yes, we know what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. Here are the results. And that's been a really fun piece to work on. It's always exciting to watch when you take somebody who's passionate about a thing, pat them on the back, and you let them go. And they'll do great things. Amazing concept, right? How about that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're about almost uh, up for our hour here. Is the, Before we wrap up, anything else you want to talk about? You know, I really think that everyone has a wonderful place that they can play in this space. And I think when we look at our own scope of control, we can all make each day better for one another. You just have to act. There's enough toxicity toxicity in the world and we can make every day better for each other. And the power of human connection is just amazing. So I think we've given networking an interesting tone, I think, over the years. But when you're able to connect like minds, you can make some really, really cool stuff happen. And I think that's where this industry needs to continue to go. So get those like minds connected. Let's make good things happen and let's find ways to better support each other so that we can continue to move the needle forward. Like that. We have a choice. We can either be happy or we can be sad. Yeah. They both take the same amount of effort. Actually, I think being sad takes more effort. So. I don't like being sad. I like being happy. I like having a good time. I like taking care of people. I like doing the right thing. Me too. And when I have those days where I question things, I stop and think of three things that I'm grateful for and then I move on. And it can be as simple as having hot water. It can be as simple as having a roof over my head or being able to go to a fridge full of food or clean water, things like that, or being able to breathe on my own with my own lungs or walk. Because at one point I couldn't walk and that was tough. So when you think about things and you give yourself a real lens or a perspective, it's really empowering and you can do it for yourself. I like how you're so positive with that. I struggle sometimes. Like I used to have a journal that, you know, a gratuitous journal, right? Yeah. Thing. I'd have to sit there and think, and it's like, it, it's really a shift in your mindset to force mm -hmm. yourself to think about things that you're grateful for. Think about things that you want to be positive about. And you want to change your workers' compensation experience. You have to be diligent. You have to yeah. change. And you have to start with you. I think that was the other piece. One of the reasons I think our group is successful is because they started with themselves. Like I can take you to the water. I can't make you drink. But if you want to start doing it, if you want to start drinking for yourself and you want to start, you know, practicing the gratitude, looking at things from a different lens, realizing that injured workers are not bad people. They're just injured humans. They're just that they're injured workers. They were workers, but had an injury. You know, it's funny that we title somebody like that as an injured worker where, you know, you, you were talking about auto. We don't call it Todd, the car crash victim. You know, I read the car crash injury. It's just interesting to me that we use these titles sometimes. It's funny. It's yeah. not funny. It's sad. But... You're exactly right. Yeah. All right. So I've got three wrap up questions here before we finish today. You got it. What are you reading? Right now, I'm reading Relentless Solution Focus. It is fantastic. Dr. Ellen Reed, and I cannot think of, ah, she's the co-author. Fantastic. It talks about how you create the resilience in your mind so that you are, kind of, like when any type of issue arises, you are looking for that, how do I get to that next step and how do I focus? And you realize that when things are happening, there's still that big picture. Make sure you pull yourself out. And the gentleman that she wrote the book with, and I'm feeling terrible that I do not have his name off the top of my head. He's like the mental health coach for the, for the St. Louis Cardinals. Okay. Fascinating science behind that. And then I'm also taking the science of well-being course through Yale right now, which is basically why are people happy? And that has been fantastic as well. And that is actually available on Coursera for free. The Yale course? Yes. You can pay $50 to get the certificate or you can just take it for free, but it'll teach you why, what, what really matters that drives your human happiness. It's fantastic. So 
we talked about when, you know, before I launched the podcast, do I want to ask these three questions? Cause it's kind of corny. The stuff that I learn on these three questions, like that nugget right there, yeah. that's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to go take that class on Yale and learn. It's amazing. Without, it's it without asking. So awesome. I love it. I've been, I pitch it. So you know what, Yale, I will absolutely continue to represent well for you oh. while I teach at Drake University. <laughs> Influencer for Yale. Yep. All right. And then we will also post that, uh, that link in that book in, uh, yeah. in the comments on our, on our webpage here. Um, what are you spending more money on than you should? Coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very grateful every day that I have the ability to choose what kind of coffee I have. When I started out as a paralegal, I just drank the office coffee. And if anyone has ever worked in a law firm, you know how bad that tar is. Uh, so now I think I, I'm very, I, so part of this science of well-being course through like Yale talks about savoring moments and really focusing on if you're going to spend money on an experience, because we should all be spending money on experiences, not things uh, that you really relish in that moment. And so I have a new appreciation for the flavor of coffee and how good or bad the quality is. And so today I'll give a shout out to Sweetwater's Coffee in West Des Moines, Jordan Creek, because that is where I have my Aviano Espresso Americano. Really great. There you go. Mm -hmm. And then I have a, I have an idea what the last piece of advice you're going to give the world is, but I'll let you wrap up with that. Um, so my new piece of advice that I am trying really desperately hard to focus on, don't bother telling the world you're ready, show it and do it. People don't care about what you say you're going to do. They care about what you've done or what you, what you, what are you actively doing right now? And that was from Peter Dinklage. And I have it sitting on my desk because I think it's a great reminder. I, I don't care what you're going to tell me you're going to do. Okay, you're going to go change the work comp industry. Okay, how are you actively doing that? What are you doing every day that you show up to drive that needle forward? Well, and change is hard. Change is scary. When a podcast is new. Yeah, it's great. It's all good stuff. You got to do the actions. You got to do the hard things to get the mm -hmm. results. Yeah. And then we will look back and realize that those hard moments and those growth moments were actually where all the fun happened. All right. So uh, <laughs> last thing here, people want to get a hold of you. I think uh, you're going to laugh. Uh, my LinkedIn page is Glitter and Sparkles. <laughs> One of the people in my office here was just, uh, I, I told her how awesome you were and she was just on your uh, LinkedIn page. And I said, you should follow her. She's posting motivational stuff all of the time. It's great. It's great information. Some of it work comp related. And so I bet you have a new LinkedIn connection today, as a matter of fact. Awesome. I love that. And I do try and get back to my LinkedIn messages as, as quickly as possible. You know, I have not been as diligent on that lately. That's all right. There's a million ways to talk right now on social media. It can bombard you. Yes. Email, text, Facebook. I get it. All right, folks. Thanks for joining us on this episode. I hope you pick some good information up today. Uh, changing an industry is not hard. And the insurance companies are not all mean and bad. There's some great ones out there doing some really great things to trying to change an industry and try and change uh, how your injured workers are cared for. And Claire's at the forefront leading this. So thanks again for joining us today, Claire. Thank you so much for having me, Todd.